I think I love that song even more. It is that truth of God's love and his forgiveness on the cross that is foundational um, for this whole series and for what we're going to talk about today. Today we're continuing in our series that we've titled One Another. Uh, this phrase, one another, we've talked about is used a hundred different times in the New Testament. And it comes from a single Greek word, alelon. And these one another or alelon statements are significant for us as Christians because they provide us with a roadmap for how we are called to live relationally with other believers as well as how we are to live in a relationship with our neighbors, co-workers, friends, and others. And today we come to perhaps the most difficult of the one another statements to obey and extend to one another. So far, we have looked at encouraging one another, loving one another, esteeming one another, and serving one another. And all of those are proactive one another statements that we extend to each other in the church and in the world. But today, we look at what is our response when someone fails us and they're called to love, they're called to encourage, to esteem us. What is our response when someone sins against us, when someone hurts us? Malice, gossip, lies, broken promises, broken hearts, unkindness, partiality, neglect, selfishness, they all exist both outside the church and within. We frequently sin against one another as we live life and worship together. In addition, we have not always been loved well by others in our past. Each of us has been hurt, sometimes grievously by the world, by friends, family members, coworkers, and acquaintances. We each walk through this world with scars and hurts of broken relationships, abuse, sin, and regret. And so amid the commands to welcome, serve, encourage, and love one another, we receive a command for what do we do when our Christian brothers and sisters fail us in those very things. Our one another responsibilities in the church do not cease if others break the commands. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is going to call on us as followers of Jesus to not write off to not walk away, to not get revenge, to not hurt back, but he instead is going to call on us to forgive one another as Jesus has forgiven us. And one of the real challenges of this verse is Paul is talking specifically about what do we do when a brother and sister in Christ wrongs us and needs to be forgiven. Sometimes this is easy in theory, but it is so difficult to put into practice. Often we're like this little boy who was saying his prayers as he went down the list of his family asking God to bless them, he intentionally omitted his brother's name. His mom said, why didn't you pray for Cliff? He said, I'm not going to ask God to bless Cliff because he hit me. His mom said, well, don't you remember that Jesus said you need to forgive your enemies? And the little boy said, that's just the trouble. Cliff's not my enemy, he's my brother. And sometimes it's so much more difficult to forgive those that are closest to us because it hurts the most. I love how Pastor Ray Stedman summed up the importance of this subject. He said, forgiving one another is the only way to break through the resentment barrier that separates us from each other. He said, forgiveness, of course, is the virtue we most enjoy and we least employ in our Christian experience. We all love to be forgiven. We expect it and we want it, but we find it a struggle to forgive. We resist it and refuse oftentimes to do it. But it is the only way, he says, to break through the resentment that separates us. Forgiveness is a struggle, but it is the greatest and most important tool that we have in our relationships and in our church as we seek to love and live life with one another. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 to read Paul's command to forgive one another. It's Ephesians 4, verse 32. Paul writes, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray. 
God, I pray that you would help us to know and experience your love and your forgiveness in our lives. God, I pray that we would allow your forgiveness and your love for us to transform us so that we may be kind and compassionate to one another. God, I pray that we would know and experience the greatness and the vastness and the completeness of your love and your forgiveness in our lives so that we might share and pass that forgiveness on to one another. God, I pray that you will open our, height, our hearts and our minds today. God, that you will give us courage to think about the, the hurts and where we are called to forgive. And God, I pray that you would overwhelm us with the reality of the love and forgiveness we have experienced in you. God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you, has not experienced that love and forgiveness, that they might do so for the first time today. And God, I pray as we, we relish and rest in your love and forgiveness that you would give us the courage, the boldness to extend that forgiveness to one another. God, we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin, I, I want to acknowledge the difficulty and the emotions that this subject can bring up. For many, your life story is full of hurt, abuse, tragedy, and evil that is beyond what I can comprehend uh, and I'm sorry for that. Oftentimes when we talk about forgiveness in the church, it can come across as trivial and trite when the hurt is so real and so deep. And we'll, we'll talk about this later, but when we talk about forgiveness, that does not mean forgetting, and it does not mean restoring the person to a position in your life where they can hurt you or others again. Forgiveness is a big subject with a lot of misunderstandings of what it means and how to extend it. So we're going to spend some time looking at forgiveness and hopefully in that provide some clarification and some tools to help you and I forgive and move on from some of the past hurt in our lives. But before we get to forgiveness, I want to quickly look at what is our natural instinct when we are hurt. So our first point today is that my natural response to hurt is to think of or to think on myself. Naturally, when we are hurt, when we are wronged, when we are slandered, our natural response is to think about and focus on me and how this hurt has wronged me. Now, this thinking of ourselves can play out in different ways, but at the heart of it, when we are hurt, we become focused on ourselves. For some of us, when we are wronged, we immediately we want revenge. As soon as we are wronged, we look for revenge on that person that wronged us, or we look to pass that hurt on someone else. We want justice, and we want to be the ones that implement the justice. We are eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of people. But as a famous quote goes, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth just leaves the world blind and toothless. But revenge often feels great in the moment. But rarely does revenge heal our hurt. And certainly it doesn't help the world and the relationship around us. The other issue with this mentality is that we often don't get revenge on the person that hurt us, but instead we pass that hurt onto someone else around us, someone that we love most. The saddest example is in cases of abuse. Statistics show that those who are abused as a child in any form are disproportionately more likely to abuse someone in the future. When we are unable to process our wounds and forgive those that hurt us, we naturally pass that hurt on to others. That's the same thing in our day-to-day -day lives as well. Often we have a bad day at work. A coworker hurts us. Our boss says something mean. A friend uh, is a jerk. And we can't get revenge at work, so we come home and we naturally take it out on our spouse or our children. So our natural response to hurt is to focus on ourselves and then try to get revenge. For some of us, that results in seeking to pass that hurt onto others, either in the form of revenge or unintentionally passing that hurt onto those around us. 
So that's one side. Others of us, when we are hurt, we don't seek revenge, but instead we think of our hurt. We stew on our hurt. And we just sit in that hurt for days, for months, for years, for a lifetime. Perhaps the greatest literary example of this is Miss Havisham in the book Great Expectations. She is left at the altar, and her response is to stop time and stew in that hurt the rest of her life. She forever wears her wedding dress. She stops all the clocks the minute that she was betrayed. Her wedding cake and decorations remain up in her house to rot and decay in the same way her heart does. She lets that hurt affect every relationship, every moment of her life from that point on. She says of her wedding cake, it and I have worn away together. She allows that one hurt to destroy every relationship in her life. It eventually leads to her physical death as her dried-out wedding dress catches fire and can't be stopped. Now, Miss Havisham is obviously a caricature, but she serves as a picture of what happens to our heart, our mind, our life, if we never process our hurts and extend forgiveness. When we stew in our hurts, we allow that person to have control over the rest of our life, and it often leads to future hurts and future self-destruction. And while it might feel good in the moment to think on our hurts, to focus on the pain, we are allowing that wrong to control our lives. In both cases, we find ourselves so overwhelmed by past hurts and struggling to move forward uh, that, that, uh, that we cannot process or we cannot forgive. And in, in that case, uh, Christian counseling can be a great resource. It can help you to unwind those hurts and move forward in forgiveness. We're going to talk about biblical forgiveness in just a second, but often when the hurts are deep and they are real, we need more than a 30-minute sermon to help us process. In those instances, we need someone with training who will sit down with us, that will ask the right questions, that will help us unpack the hurt, will help us to develop tools and move forward in a positive way. And so that's something you think you might be in need of. Please come and talk with us. We would love to connect you with a Christian counselor who will meet you online in the comfort of your home. If cost is an issue, that's something we can come alongside and help you with. But the pain and the hurt in our lives is real. And if we want to move forward in our relationship with Jesus and be the light he has called us to be, we often need help processing our past, extending forgiveness, and moving on. So our natural response to the hurt in our life is to think and to focus on the hurt in ourselves. For many of us, that may mean seeking revenge or passing that hurt on to others. And for others of us, it means stewing and resting in that hurt. So if that's our natural response, what's a godly response to hurt? We see that right here in Ephesians 4.32. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The proper biblical response when we are hurt is not to focus on ourselves, but instead think of Jesus and the forgiveness he has shown us. Ephesians 4.32 says we are to forgive just as we have been forgiven through Jesus so our second point is instead of thinking on our hurt or ourselves, when I am hurt, I should look to my Savior, to Jesus. The only power, the only way, the only reason we can possibly extend forgiveness to others is because of the forgiveness we have already been given in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has a conversation on forgiveness with his disciples. He's talking about how do you do, deal with hurts within the context of the church and with brothers and sisters in Christ. And after Jesus gets done with this conversation, Peter comes up to Jesus, and he asks the same question we would all ask. He says, that's all great, Jesus, but how many times do I have to forgive my brother or sister that sins against me? And Peter throws out this number that, that has to seem really high in his mind. He says, do I have to forgive up to seven times? I mean, that's a lot of forgiveness. And I, I'm sure Peter thought that was a pretty good response by him. 
But Jesus replies in verse 22 to Peter, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And when Jesus says we're to forgive 70 times seven, he's not saying we keep track and when we get to offense 491 that we write the person off. But the number seven is a, a number of completeness and it's multiplied by 70. So Jesus is saying we are to forgive an unlimited amount of times. Just as we have been forgiven completely in our lives by Jesus. So when we look to Jesus, we see the completeness of our forgiveness, and we are to extend that same complete forgiveness to others. And then from there, Jesus tells this parable that beautifully illustrates our call to forgive. We're picking up in Matthew 18, verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, this is an extreme amount of money. Commentators estimate the modern-day equivalent to be somewhere between 20 to $100 million. An exorbitant amount of money that would have taken a normal person like you and me lifetimes to repay. This man has no hope of ever repaying his debt. He deserved whatever consequence the king wanted to lay down. Verse 25 Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, Jesus' hearers would have laughed at this request for patience. Because this man doesn't need patience. This man needs a miracle. He couldn't earn the amount of money that he owed in a lifetime. This man desperately needed the grace and forgiveness of the king. He was hopeless no matter how much time he had. And this is us without Jesus. Our debt is so great because of our sin that we cannot pay it back. No matter how much time we have, we desperately need a savior, someone to pay the price for our sins. Charles Spurgeon said of this verse, Many a poor sinner is very rich in resolutions. The servant debtor thought he only needed patience, but indeed he needed forgiveness. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. I'll stop right now, uh, right here. It, it, now, we hear a hundred silver coins, and, and that doesn't make sense to us, but that is, that is not an insignificant debt. A hundred silver coins was equal to about a hundred days of wages. So this offense, this debt was real. He was owed a significant amount of money, but it was completely insignificant in comparison to the debt that he had just been forgiven. In fact, this debt is one six hundred thousandth of the debt he had been forgiven by his master. And in the same way, when people sin against us, when they hurt us, the debt, the hurt, the pain, the sin is not insignificant. It is very real. But what we see is it pales in comparison to the debt that Jesus has already paid. Verse 28. The servant grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. That's the same request uttered earlier, except this guy had the possibility of paying it back. Verse 30. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and they told their master everything that had happened. We see it here, but oftentimes in our lives, it's others that see our sin, that see our heart before we do. 
And when we sin, when we fail to forgive, when we don't live out the commands of Jesus, it is seen by the people around us. And it stains our reputation as well as our Lord's. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus says we forgive because we have been forgiven. We don't forgive so that we might be forgiven, but we forgive because our debt has been forgiven just as the servant's debt was forgiven. And when we don't extend forgiveness to others, it is just as brash and just as offensive as when this servant didn't extend forgiveness to his fellow servant. In that moment, he had lost perspective and forgot about his own forgiveness that he had experienced. So when we are hurt, we look to Jesus. We remember the forgiveness we have experienced in him. And in that, we remember that our debt is no more. So that's our next point. When I am hurt, I remember that I am forgiven completely. My sins are great. My debt beyond what I could ever pay. But Jesus on the cross paid my debt in full. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that's a truth that you know. But it is a truth that is hard to live in and feel moment by moment, especially when we've been hurt. And for many of us, when it comes to understanding and embracing God's love and forgiveness for us, we fall on one of two, two spectrums when it comes to understanding this. For some of us, we, we puff up our chest and we believe that there was something so good about us that Jesus had to choose us. And in that, we believe the blasphemous lie that we and in ourselves are worthy of Jesus and his gift of forgiveness. That is blasphemous because the only thing we contributed to our salvation was our sin that left us in need of Jesus. We are absolutely not worthy. Yet the Bible tells us Jesus loved us when we were still sinners and because of him, we are forgiven. But if we believe that lie that we are worthy, it allows us to set ourselves up on a throne. To look down upon everyone else and cast judgment. So that is you. If you struggle with that, if you struggle with puffing up your chest, if you struggle with judging others, with believing that you are worthy in and of your own, that you are perfect, that God is lucky to have you on his team. If that's you, then you need to read the gospel. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. Put the love of God on repeat. You were the scoffer. It was your sin that held him there. And remind yourself over and over of where you were and where you would be without Christ. Because you and I without Jesus are no different than our neighbor, our coworker, our family member, our enemy that lives in, lives in sin with no hope of eternity with Jesus if they don't follow him. There is nothing special about us as Christians other than Jesus. Our salvation, our forgiveness, our life, our spiritual growth, our obedience is all in response to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So we must stop believing the lie that we are worthy. So that in Jesus' grace, we might extend the same forgiveness that he's extended to us. And on the other side of the spectrum, there are a lot of us that struggle to accept and believe that Jesus could actually love and forgive us. We know our past We know our sins. We know our struggles even today. And we struggle to believe that Jesus could actually love and forgive us. We are a mess. We are broken. And we believe the lie that we are too far gone. That we have committed sins that Jesus couldn't possibly forgive. 
And we begin to believe that maybe we're not forgiven. And in that, we struggle to extend forgiveness to others. Because we struggle to comprehend how deep, how wide, how long, and how high God's love and forgiveness is for us. And when we fail to live as forgiven children of the King, then we fail to extend His forgiveness to others. But the Bible is so full of hope and and of examples and of clarity on this issue. Look at the Old Testament. If God could forgive and restore David, who was an adulterer, a murderer, and a liar, then he could surely forgive, restore, and use you. If God could forgive and restore Paul, who was a blasphemer and a murderer of Christians, he could surely forgive, restore, and use you. Peter walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus personally, yet at the time of crisis, betrayed him three times. Yet Jesus willingly forgave, restored, and built his church upon Peter and his ministry. Surely he can forgive, restore, and desires to use you as well. The examples of God's forgiveness and restoration could go on and on. As humans, we are all sinners separated from God without hope. But Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and for me. And if we will humble ourselves, believe, and repent, that he offers us forgiveness and eternal life. And that forgiveness is not limited. He doesn't just forgive our first 500 sins and then after that we're in trouble. But he forgives them all, past, present, and future. One of the last things Jesus said as he hung on the cross, as he paid the penalty, the cost, the wage for your sins was the word tetelestai. And the word tetelestai translated to English simply means it is finished. And what that word means is that his work was complete and he offered complete and total forgiveness to any and all that would follow after him. So if you are a follower of Jesus, he didn't just pay for some of your sins, but he paid the price for all of your sins. You are completely forgiven in Jesus. There is no sin too great, no sin too small, no sin too many, no sin in the future or the past that he didn't pay for on the cross. He took all the sins and condemnation, the penalty for your sins on the cross, and he says, it is finished. And I know I've shared this with you before, but it is so powerful for me and so important that we know this and that we understand this and that we believe this. But the amazing thing about that word to tell us that is that Jesus says it in the perfect passive indicative tense. And that may sound insignificant to you, but it is so very significant. Because what the perfect passive indicative tense means is that Jesus says that all of your past sins are forgiven. All of your present sins are forgiven. And all of your future sins are forgiven. Jesus covers every sin you will ever commit. And he says, in my finished work on the cross, your sins, every single one of them, are forgiven in me. He says, it is finished. And so as you look at your life, you are completely and totally forgiven. You are the servant whose debt has been paid in full. A debt so great, so extreme, that you had no chance of ever paying it back on your own. And if we can grasp how infinite, how great, how grand our forgiveness is, then how can we not extend that same forgiveness to others? When we are hurt, when our heart breaks, when we have been wronged, we are to lift our eyes to our Savior and be reminded of the incredible forgiveness we have experienced in Him. And when we lift our eyes to our Savior and the complete forgiveness we have experienced, it reorients our lives as we focus and we meditate on our Savior. The command is we are to forgive others as God in Christ has already forgiven us. It is complete. It is finished. 
The Bible tells us that his forgiveness is for many. We can share it. It covers all kinds of trespasses. It casts the sin infinitely far from us as sinners. His, his forgiveness is complete and irrevocable. It is 70 times 7 in our lives. You have been forgiven if you are a follower of Jesus. So Paul says, go and do likewise for one another. So when we are wrong, don't merely look at how it affects us, but look to Jesus. Reorient your life around his complete forgiveness. And then finally extend forgiveness. In light of my forgiveness, I am called to extend forgiveness to others. In his book, Enemies of the Heart, Andy Stanley writes this quote that I love. He says, in the shadow of my hurt, when I'm focused on my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, when I focus on Jesus, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. I love that quote and the power of viewing forgiveness, not merely through the lens of my hurt, but through the lens of the cross. The world has no reason to forgive one another. But we as Christians that have been forgiven greatly have no choice but to forgive one another. One of the, the great examples of this that you've probably seen, but Louis Zamperini was an American Olympian and U.S. airman whose story was told uh, recently in the book and movie Unbroken. And after his plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean during World War II, he was captured by the Japanese and tortured by his captors. This one particular guard officer who was nicknamed the bird, the first time he saw Zamperini hit him in the face because he didn't look at him. So the next time when he appeared, Zamperini looked at him and he hit him in the face for that. He would take off his belt with a huge belt buckle and beat Zamperini until he was unconscious. He continually tormented him until the war ended. And when it finally did, Zamperini and the other American captives were free. But as Zamperini tells his story, he was not really free. He would have nightmares about his captors, and he had hatred for his guards. He dreamed of going back one day and killing the man he called the bird. He planned to return to Japan and kill him personally. But as he stewed in this, as he remained captured to this hurt, Zamperini's life spiraled out of control. He says he began to drink to deal with the pain that he experienced, and he became a full-fledged alcoholic. At one point, his wife filed for divorce, and he was at the end of his rope, and she invited him to a Billy Graham meeting in Los Angeles. And at that meeting, he heard the hope of the gospel. He heard a forgiveness available in Jesus, and he experienced that forgiveness. And he said his life was changed. It was transformed. He became a devoted Christian. He began working with young men who were juvenile delinquents like he had been. But perhaps the greatest sign that he had truly been saved was his heart towards the Japanese began to change. Some months later, he did travel back to Japan. But he went back not to kill his former captors, but to visit them in prison. And as he visited them in prison, he told them that he had forgiven them, that he loved them, and then he shared the hope of the gospel that had changed his life with them. From a human standpoint, you could see where someone like Zamperini might say, you don't understand what they did to me. I will never forgive them. But when Jesus saved and forgave him, his heart began to change. The forgiveness that he had experienced led him to forgive those who had sinned against him, just as God had forgiven him. And so often, like in Zamperini's case, when we hold on to the hurt, when we don't give forgiveness, 
It is us that remains captive, not the offender. And it is the forgiveness that gives us freedom to move on. It allows us to not let our life be defined by the herd as it was for Miss Havisham. It frees us to move forward in the freedom and forgiveness offered to us by Jesus. So when we find ourselves hurt, we turn to the cross. We remember what Jesus has done for us. And then we pray and we release that hurt to God. We don't seek revenge or hold on to it, but we entrust the hurt and the pain to the Lord through prayer. We allow his spirit to cover it and fill our heart with love again. We give that person to the Lord and trust them to him. We release the burden, the hurt, the justice to God. We ask God to fill our hearts with his love. Sometimes I think this can happen instantly as we release the hurt, but sometimes it happens over time as you unpack it with the Lord. But the important part is that we work through it and we let God begin to transform our hearts in forgiveness. We have been forgiven greatly. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, have been forgiven greatly. So who comes to mind that you need to extend forgiveness to in your heart and maybe face-to-face with in words? Since we've been forgiven so much, we have no right, Paul says, to withhold forgiveness from others. We are the debtor forgiven an infinite debt. But we hold on to the small debts others owe to us. Who is God calling you to extend forgiveness to? Well, let me clarify a couple of things about forgiveness that often get confused when we talk about it. This gets clouded in our culture, but there is a clear difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. True reconciliation of relationship can only happen when both parties are agreeable to it. And this may require repentance on one or both of the parties in the conflict. Yet forgiveness can be one-sided. You can forgive in your heart even if the other party doesn't repent or ask for forgiveness. You can forgive in your heart even if the other person may no longer be alive. You can forgive in your heart, your side of things, even if the other party has not changed. Furthermore, forgiveness does not necessarily uh, shield someone from, from the consequences of their sin. Simple example. A homeowner may personally forgive the man who comes into their house and robs them. Yet it is still appropriate for that man to be arrested and put in jail. On a personal level, forgiveness is required. On a societal and civil level, Romans 13 tells us the person should still be accountable for their crimes, their sins. Forgiveness by you does not equal a free pass from the consequences for the offender. Finally, when you forgive someone, it does not mean that you do not still use wisdom regarding your relationship with them. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean that you put them back in the same position in your life again. Especially if there's potential temptation for them to hurt you or others again. What do I I mean by this? A couple simple examples. If someone in your family or extended family is an alcoholic and they have hurt you when they're drinking, it is wise to forgive but not be around that person when they are drinking. It is wise to have boundaries on when you will spend time with them. If you have a friend who has hurt you but is not willing to change, it is wise to set boundaries on the time you will spend with them. Or maybe for you it means forgiving, but perhaps making new friends. If anyone abuses you, it is wise to separate from that person and seek help and seek counseling in that relationship. If you have a friend or family member who has cheated you out of money, you ought to forgive 
that it's probably wise not to loan any more money to them. And those are simple examples, but I trust that in your relationship, God will help you to forgive, but then set the appropriate boundaries for that relationship. So when you are hurt, it is right to forgive, but also to create boundaries to keep yourself and others from being hurt again. You can't change people, but you can pray for them and you can forgive, but you yourself cannot change them. But you are personally, in your heart, called to forgive the wrong that was done against you, just as God has forgiven you. It is important for you spiritually to do that, so your life is not destroyed by bitterness and unforgiveness like Louis Zamperini's almost was and Miss Havisham's was. Last point, and it's a quick one. Forgiveness powerfully demonstrates God's love to the world around us. There is perhaps no greater demonstration of God's love to the world than when we forgive one another. And there is perhaps no greater demonstration of our faith and our maturity in Christ than when we extend forgiveness. Forgiveness is what Jesus was known for. It's the very thing he came to earth to do, to lay his life down and pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven and restored in relationship. And we imitate and we put on display Jesus to the world when we extend forgiveness. One of the greatest examples of this comes in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was martyred for preaching and teaching the gospel. Let me read you the count real quick. Verse 54 of Acts 7, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now those words that Stephen uttered there were not new to him. But they were the same words that Jesus had uttered on the cross as he paid the price for Stephen's sins as well as your sins and my sins. Jesus, while giving his life on the cross, extended forgiveness to the very men that were actively killing him. Stephen, in following his Savior's example, extended the same forgiveness to those that stoned him. That's the model for us. We extend forgiveness because of the forgiveness we have been extended. I love that quote. In the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. And the beauty of this is that everybody who reads the story of Stephen forgiving his murders, they instantly see how much he was like Jesus. Everyone who sees or hears the story of Louis Zamperini knows he had to have been genuinely saved because of the way he forgave his captors. When you look at your life, what do people around you see about you? What do they see in the way that you forgive? Do they see someone whose forgiveness looks like Jesus? Or do they see something else? Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. So as we respond to this passage, to this subject, the first question is, have you experienced Jesus' forgiveness in your life? Do you know his love and his complete forgiveness for you? He loves you so much that while you were a sinner, while your debt was so great, he went to the cross and he gave his life for you. 
The Bible says if you'll just repent, if you'll turn to him, if you'll trust him with your life, he is faithful to forgive you completely. He says over every sin that you've committed in the past, present, and future, that it is finished and that it is forgiven. Have you experienced that in your life? Do you know his forgiveness? If you're not sure, if you don't know, would you ask questions? Would you come and talk with me or someone you trust? Figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus? And if you're ready, would you trust him today? Trust him with your life. And the Bible says he is faithful to forgive. Secondly, maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you have allowed your life to drift on one of those pendulums. You've not fully embraced Jesus' love and forgiveness for you. For you, maybe you've started to believe it's about you and that you are somehow worthy of that. You just need to spend some time preaching and reading the gospel to yourself. Understanding God's love for you, his forgiveness, your desperate situation without him. And he's embracing that for you. Embracing his forgiveness so that you can extend that to others. Maybe you struggle to believe that Jesus could forgive you. Spend some time thinking, resting, praying over the completeness of your forgiveness. Maybe you need to experience afresh God's love for you. Set aside intentional time this week, this month, this year to pray, to read the gospel, and reorient your life around his forgiveness so that you might extend it to others. And then as a Christian, in light of the cross, in light of the forgiveness you've experienced, who is God calling you to forgive? What step do you need to take this week to forgive? Where are you still holding on to the hurt inside of you instead of extending forgiveness? Where is God leading you to forgive? Maybe you do so intentionally through prayer. Maybe God's leading you to make a phone call and to extend that forgiveness. Maybe for you the hurt is, is just more than you can, you can deal with right now. And you need to get info and set up an appointment with a, a Christian counselor that can help you process that. But where is God calling you to act to forgive? You have been forgiven completely. You are loved. Your sin is finished. Where do you need to extend that same forgiveness? I'm going to pray for us, and I do. And the worship team is going to come and lead us in a final song. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the forgiveness and love we've experienced in our lives. God, I pray if there is someone here or someone watching online, someone that stumbles into this, Lord, if they don't know your love and forgiveness, Lord, would you open their hearts and their mind to that? Would you open their hearts and their mind to the desperate nature of their situation without you? Would you open their hearts and minds to your love for them and the reality of the forgiveness and love you offer them? Would you give them the courage to repent and turn to you and trust you with their lives. God, I pray for the many of us here that are, are listening online or here in this room, Lord, that are followers of you, that have been followers of you for a long time. God, I pray that you would help us today to experience afresh, to not just know intellectually in our minds, but to know in our hearts the completeness and the totality of your forgiveness in our lives that you would help us to experience afresh just the incredible gift that is. A gift that we were not worthy of in our own right, but that you have just abundantly poured over us. God, would you help us to know that forgiveness? And as we know it, would you help us to extend that forgiveness to others? 
God, I pray that you would put people on our hearts and our minds, that you would give us the courage in our hearts through prayer to give those people over to you, to give those hurts over to you. God, we pray that as we give those to you, that you would transform our hearts towards love, that you would help us to process those hurts and to forgive completely. God, I pray that you would help us to take the courageous steps you are calling, calling us each to as we seek to extend forgiveness to one another. God, we love you, and we thank you just for your love and forgiveness in our lives. It's your name we pray. Amen.